0: Let's do this, the Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful, and for the faithful, I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey,
1: Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight?
0: I'm doing well, Bruce. How are you?
1: Good. A little happier outcome tonight. Another hard-fought two-game set with the Jets. Another
0: that a, Yeah, that was a really hard... I used the hard-fought term in my lead of my uh, oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: story today, because
0: that, that really was a tense... Uh, Hard-fought game. Excellent defensive effort by the Edmonton Oilers, Bruce, I thought. Um, Thirteen great-A chances for, eight against in their 3-2 win. And as the game went on, Bruce, they did something that they haven't been able to do uh, very much this year, which is hold a lead in the third, not not, um, uh, choke it up and uh, have the game tied or lose the game. They really... Uh, got stronger I thought defensively as the game went along in the last 15 minutes. They didn't last 17 minutes Actually, they, they only allowed one great a scoring chance against a very very good Winnipeg Jets team that team really impresses me Bruce and very I good. think um, there's I think there's like I'm not sure about the flames yet, but there's four teams in this division that are really good and the Jets are are definitely one of them And so are the Oilers. I'm gonna say
1: Flames got smoked tonight by the Canucks right in their home ice 5-1 sweet
0: all right, Bruce, this is our Two Good Things, Two Bad Things, and Two Numbers podcast, and because, uh, you know, this is a big win for the Oilers, they're now uh, nine win. what is it, ten wins? No, what is it, ten and ten eight? wins, eight losses. Ten wins, eight losses. Two games above 500, so you got that nice little cushion there. Maybe mm-hmm. extend that uh, over the weekend. Uh, we'll do two good things each. Bruce, what's your first good thing?
1: Well, I'm going to go with the obvious and uh, right Connor McDavid for uh, another superb game, for starters, uh, but also for achieving a milestone, 500 career points in just 369 games, exactly tying Sidney Crosby, the previous generational superstar, to come down the pike. And uh, uh, Connor made short work of that, making a terrific assist, uh, uh, handling the puck a couple times and making a, a splendid give-and-go with Jesper Pugliarvi, uh, a similar play that we saw um, uh, a couple games ago. Uh, but, uh, you know, just just hit him nicely on the break in and pulled the RV. Got essentially a sort of a semi-breakaway, and he just buried it. Great shot. Nice to see. Top corner. And uh, that was uh, the 500th point. And then uh, McDavid would go on to add a second assist. It's been a while since he scored a goal, you know, but... Uh, uh, two more assists tonight and he seems to be piling up a couple of points a night one way or another and uh, usually well earned points because he typically is in on seven or eight or ten scoring chances along the way to earn his two points and that was essentially the case tonight was uh, he was uh, uh, <clears throat> involved in, in the center of things on the power play uh, his line got that huge goal early at even strength and you know the orders led the entire rest of the way so they led for about 56 minutes, I think, of this one. It's about right. They scored two goals right away, and then they always let down 345 of the first period to the end. The Jets were trailing. so
0: Connor McDavid-Bruce is playing the best even-strength hockey of his career, and I mm-hmm. don't actually think it's that close to other periods in his career, mainly because he's cranked up his defensive intensity and his def- defensive awareness. Uh, Oilers coach Dave Tippett remarked on that earlier today. A- and what I would say is he's just making a real effort uh, never to cheat for the offense, never to get on the right, you know, like being on the wrong side of the, de- of the puck battle on the boards in the defensive zone, hoping to fish out that puck to get the break. He's not doing that this year. There's no flybys. He's he's on the right side of his man in the defensive zone. This was another game where he didn't make even one uh, major mistake wow. on a grade-A chance against you know, they, it, it's funny because people are so, uh, I don't know, like official NHL plus minus is like if like you ask me kind of a crappy stat, especially in a short period of time to rate players. Maybe over a couple of years, I, I put some weight into it. But after like 18 games, if you're if you're impressed by that, then you're doing stats wrong. And I, but I think people are. And that's why they're talking about Drysdale as the uh, Selke candidate when it's really McDavid who is who has come to the fore, and really improved his defensive game this year. And this was another example. And uh, Bruce, I th- he may have found a sniper on his line, A, in puglia That's, as uh, Bob Stauffer mentioned, between periods, that's four goals in six games for Puglia-Yarvi. Nice. And that was, a, that was a replica kind of goal of the one he scored against Calgary. Same play. Yeah. And uh, just a beautiful snipe. And it's what the Oilers needed to beat the Jets, because the Jets were getting those great snipes last game to beat the Oilers. And nice yep. to see Edmonton... Uh, come back with it. Bruce, my good thing is Leon Dreisaitl, and I and I have been critical of his defensive play now and then this year, especially he's been in a little bit of a slump recently. I, I think it mainly has to do with um, the line with Cahoon wasn't necessarily working very well because I think Leon was trying to set up Cahoon so much. He was typically coming over the blue line and slowing down the play and looking for Cahoon or Yamamoto, you know, uh, kind of yeah. uh, trying to make the pass instead of driving with the puck and tonight he came out and he was he was absolutely flying out there man he was like he was like the great bull of heaven and he he uh first shift he he pulverizes a winnipeg jet flare with a nice check but you could mm-hmm. just see he was he he was so determined to skate hard and he really was and then on the second shift of course he comes up the ice and uh just so fast, so powerful, and fires in that wicked shot. Um, his his effort, his great effort tonight was rewarded uh, again. You know, good things happen when you're working hard. And the puck bounces when the power play uh, in the second period, where he scored that huge goal, Edmonton's third goal. Is uh, that the third goal? Yeah, on the uh, on the power play. The the the, the absolutely fantastic, top shelf one-timer where Mama keeps the cookies, Bruce. Mm -hmm. So, Leandre said, best game in a long time, and fantastic hockey player uh, when he's skating like that.
1: Did he ever roof that one? That that was unusual. Like, I thought, when I saw the puck bouncing around up there, I thought, well, it can't be inside the net, because when it hits the top of the net, there's only one place for it to go, and that's to go down. But I slowed it down, looked at a couple of replays, and what happened was his shot hit the back bar, and it bounced straight off the back bar and hit the front bar from behind, and then it bounced back into the top corner of the net. So it really rattled around in the very upper reaches of the of the goal cage for like three ricochets, because he absolutely roofed it. It's like, stop this Hellebuck, you know. <laughs> and that was the only way they were going to beat Connor Hellebuck tonight was with perfect shots, and that's what basically what they got on all three of their goals, and... There was quite a few more that it sure looked like they were going to score, but uh, the big goalie came up with some superb saves. Man, that guy's good.
0: He is good, isn't he? Mike Smith was good, though, Bruce. Uh-huh.
1: He was. He answered yeah. the bell.
0: What's your second good thing?
1: I'm going to go with Kyra mm-hmm. Yamamoto who got zero points in this game, but I absolutely loved his game. I was pretty critical of him the other night because he made some turnovers, and he probably was pretty critical of his own game because he came out with an extremely determined two-way effort tonight. Loved his defensive play, just loved his defensive play. He was uh, very, very good on the penalty kill. He had one PK in the first period where he... uh uh he, he faded into the slot to get his stick on the play to disrupt it and then the puck went over to the boards and he just went over there and creamed his guy right into the boards, won the puck battle and, and iced it. Uh, there was another play where it was just, it was a routine three on three and the other, uh, the Jets did, I think it was a crossover with the two guys up front and the third guy kind of faded back to kind of trail the play and try and get the late pass in the slot and Yamamoto was sort of aware of the guy and hung back with him and disrupted the pass. That would have been a deadly play if all three Oilers had gone hard back towards their own net, but he read it perfectly, and then he got the stick where it could do the most good and, uh, you know, tipped the puck out of danger. Uh, he had uh, some good offensive chances, and mostly by alertness, you know. Uh, he was able to pull down one one puck that kind of bounced high in the center zone uh, Leon fed him with a long stretch pass and Yamamoto pulled the puck down, came over the blue line and was able to control under pressure and make a feed to uh, Cahoon in front for a close in deflection. Uh, he had another chance of his own right in front of the net where he, uh, uh, was able to, I think this one was on the penalty kill where he was able to cut yeah. in and, and, uh, Uh, he made actually a great play to delay the puck, but unfortunately he wasn't able to get a shot off after that. Like he tried to pull it back and go upstairs and he pulled it back and the upstairs was there if he could have got a stick on the puck. But he was just, he was thinking, he was hustling. And as usual, he was putting up what I call the defensive stats. We used to talk about these and I still call them any any of the stats that start with the player without the puck. And there's three of them. Hits, takeaways, block shots. And Yamamoto had uh, one one hit, probably that one on the penalty kill, one takeaway, two more block shots, uh, which he now leads the NHL for all forwards in the NHL with twenty-seven block shots, and it's no accident. He's in the lanes and he's fearless, and he's all over the puck. You know, and, and on his good nights, and tonight was a very good night. He is really all over the puck, and he was he was a force. Say a game he scored no points one of the reasons the Oilers gave up 2 in this game and not 4 or 5 or 6 was strong efforts by by him among others that you know raised their game he raised his game a long way from from his uh, fairly iffy performance the other night
0: yeah the player on that one break where he he kind of fanned on it and didn't get off the shot that was a uh, you know magic johnson to james worthy oop pass from chris russell, russell. And uh, my good th- my second good thing is Chris Russell and Adam Larson. So I wouldn't have uh, I, I think after scoring Winnipeg scored six goals against the orders, the, the, the Dave Tiet yeah. thought it's Chris Russell time. We, you know we, we need the, we need the steady back this worked once earlier this year actually, mm-hmm. where he had, had inserted Russell when the orders had been really shaky on defense. And I, I have to admit that I was probably, well, not as skeptical as every Oilers fan, because there's some that, that uh, just uh, you know erupt in displeasure about all things Chris Russell. But I was not bullish about the prospect of seeing Larson and Russell together, if I'm completely honest. I didn't think it was going to work very well. And the first shift, they went out there and, and Larson gave away the puck and they couldn't get it out. And I'm thinking, oh, oh like how are they going to get through this game against this big, talented Winnipeg team with these two guys on the ice? But Bruce, I thought, uh, especially as the game went along, they, they, they were really solid defensively. They get, gave up very, very little in their own end. And on the Dreisaitl goal, um, it, it was kicked off with a very sharp outlet pass by, by Chris Russell. Mm-hmm. Um, Larson did make a mistake where he screened the goalie a little bit and tipped in, went in off his skate, the first Winnipeg mm-hmm. uh, power play goal. But other than that, Adam Larson, I just thought, was just such a strong game. And it, it, <laughs> kind of culminating in the last last shift of the game, where he flattens I think both Sifley and Blake Wheeler with humongous hits. Adam Larson is, a, a, I think, an under underrated hockey player. I, I can see. I think Russell should play like every second game. He he does seem to me a step slower. And I thought we saw that late in the game. A guy got a, kind of got around into the outside. Uh, something that I don't think would have happened with Chris Russell. Two years ago, you sure uh, got a stick
1: in the passing lane uh, three or four times, Russell. And it looked like a oh, dangerous yeah. cross slot pass, and he was just in the position to get a stick on it and you know just tip it into the corner, not necessarily you know like a hero play, but to but to disrupt the the point of attack. And that's really his specialty.
0: It is, and Larson's specialty is the rough stuff, and and he was he was hammering him hard. He's there, you know, the answer to Neil Pionk. Uh, for the Oilers I bet you the Jets fans don't like Adam Larson very much um, Or the Jets players Don't like Adam Larson very much Because oh. he, he was the you know, stereotypical Hard to play against uh, Shutdown defenseman, Especially as the game wore on So uh, th- that's my second good thing
1: Five hits and five block shots For Larson uh, To lead the team In both categories In fact uh, he led the entire game in both ca- oh wait a minute no nope. four hits uh, wasn't it Bolu, oh, no, Bolu, five, five hits, Bolu, right. Bolu had eight hits for the Jets so he yeah. just led the Oilers in uh, in block shots and uh, just give me half a shake here I'm pretty sure he leads the entire NHL in block shots and he does with 55. Alec Martinez 50 Calvin Dehan 40 so there's some real separation there between first and third. Strange, man. I mean, two years ago, I think it was Chris Russell led the league. Last year, it was Oscar Klappbaum. This year, so far, it's Adam Larson. Three different Oilers. Yeah,
0: I don't know why. Like, there's some people that would trade Larson now or bench him. Like, I see that. I read comments like that. And, of course, every player has their fans and the people who don't like them. But I I honestly don't really get it with Larson. I think he's such a fine defensive defenseman and moves the puck okay that... um, and I can assure you of one thing. Mm-hmm. Dave Tippett has not taken out of Larson out of the lineup, Bruce. There's, no, time there's no way that's happening. And I have
1: so. at least one, one or two guys that are tough to play against, and uh, Larson <laughs> checks that box with uh, indelible ink. <laughs> what's
0: your What's your bad thing?
1: I'm going to go with the 3-2 goal early in the third. I'm last. Time. The Oilers won 3-2 about a week ago in Ottawa, and I criticized the goal at the exact same juncture of the game, where they had 3-1, going to the third, and they gave one up right away in the third, and then hung on the rest of the way. And this one wasn't quite as egregious as that clear-cut breakaway for Evgeny Davidov was last week. But it was a 4-on-4 where the Oilers had, well, they had a power play, and it was sloppy, and they wound up giving up a, a near breakaway, and Nuge chopped the guy. Um, big guy, yeah, Lowry. And so it went to four-on-four. Four. So because they just used their power play, they didn't go with either McDavid or Dreisaitl. And so they wound up with this oddball combination of Haas and uh, Ennis in the four-on-four. Four. And Barry was out there, too, and there were like these little guys for the Oilers. And Winnipeg was was just winning the battles, winning the races, and the Oilers started running around And I don't know what happened to Ennis, like he was checking somebody, and then all of a sudden he was nowhere, like there was nobody around him. Uh, And Haas chased his guy to the boards, and then the puck came over to Neil Pionk, who was basically the counterpart to Ennis. He also had nobody around him, but the big difference was he was in the middle of the ice, and he had the puck. And Ennis was just sort of a distant bystander, about 40 feet away, watching as as Pionic wound up and just absolutely rifled a slap shot, clean slap shot from the from the middle of the ice that bulged the twine. And Mike Smith, I thought he was a little deep in his net on that one. Like I thought he maybe could have at least got out to the top of his crease, but it was an absolute rocket and just undefended. Did he ever crush
0: so, that shot? Oh, hey man. I don't know if Haas, like we've, <laughs> we've in our preliminary scoring chance marks, you, you're going over them again, but... um. Mm-hmm. I I did think Haas probably like might have made it, but he was kind of sticking with his man. It was just Anas was where, right. where was what was he doing? So maybe you, you know, it's not even Haas' fault at all, like because he kind of was doing the right thing. That's what you're supposed to do on four and four, and Anas kind of got lost in the in the mix there. So, but uh, yeah, that was, well, was odd combination.
1: They're not line mates, you know. They like uh, they, I would say they've never played together before. Those two guys. Yeah, they're yeah.
0: really fast, so that's what he was thinking They're Small like, and quick fast. Yeah, put pulley RV out there. Or was he just on the power play? I can't remember. Um Yeah. Not a great goal against Bruce. And Barry screen, screened the goalie. He was part of the drive by screen of uh you know, it shot that hard that you only see after it's in the air.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> You're not gonna save that one very often. That was that was a very tough. That was like a Sheldon surrey great slap shot from the from the point. Yeah, that was now, a rocket. Was that Pionk ever a good player. I mean, we, I can hate him cuz he he's an aggravating player who who hits hard and that hit on Turris was a world-class legal hit. It was a fantastic hit. But he what a great trade that um <sighs> uh they made getting rid of well, I always thought Truba was a very good player in Winnipeg, but mm-hmm. apparently he's not playing that well in New York. I'm not sure. And Maybe now it's just Maybe it's just because his contract's so big, everyone, you know, the expectations yeah. go high. But Pionk's a very solid player for the Winnipeg Jets. They they made a good deal there.
1: Well, they got P- for for uh, Tur- uh, Truba, they got Pionk, and a first round pick, which became Billy Hainola, who they're very very high on. That's the guy that they the next next um, uh, living breathing uh, little general, well, Lars Eric schoberg style uh, uh-huh. player. And he almost made the team again. I think he's he, he's right on the cusp of the team. He may be on the taxi squad, but we haven't seen him. But um, uh, he's going to be there, and he's going to be there for a few years. Well, they got Pionk at three million dollars a year, in that territory, whereas the Rangers are paying Truba eight million dollars a year. And you know, Pionk has outscored Truba since the trade. Pionk's had more points than Truba. He's had, you know, better stats. Like he's been the better player for five million dollars less. Plus, I got the first round pick. I mean, that's just a fantastic trade.
0: Yeah, Pionk's twenty-five years old. Yeah, thirteen points in sixteen games. You mm-hmm. know, that's what. A, and he had a
1: good year last year. I got him in my keeper league. I know this guy a little bit. He's real good. Um, Bruce, I had a hard time
0: picking a bad thing, but I'm. Uh, because there wasn't a lot that was that went was wrong in that game. game. it was a good game, and then the orders played very well um, I'm just I didn't like uh breaking up uh what I call the uh nitty gritty dirt line of Jujar Kara Tyler Ennis and josh Archibald and it's just a simple thing. I just when you have players that are going and finally going right, you finally have Jujar Kara going. You finally have him playing well. Tyler Ennis was off to a pretty weak start of the year. He's going. So you have these players. They're succeeding in a really crucial role for the orders on the third line. It's not broke. Don't fix it. Why why break it up? You could have put in, if you needed to send a message to Dominic Cahoon. Now, I guess maybe Tyler Ennis wants to be rewarded. Maybe he wants to move up. And maybe that makes sense because he's been playing so well. He has been playing well. But... Um, I didn't, th- you know, he and he, he made a very nice pass to Drysaddle, uh, Cross ever. Seam, Saucer Pass. So maybe that worked. Maybe I'm wrong here. Could be. But I, I just, as a general rule, I'm not I'm not loving that. And I think they could have put in Joachim Nygaard if they wanted to send a message to Cahoon. Um, there there was other options that they or that they could have resorted to. So. When you have a good line, and this is the point I've made many times before on another line, which will not be named tonight, but don't break it up. And um, so that's my bad thing.
1: Yeah, I just looked it up. Uh, Pionk, 58 points plus 11. Truba, 30 points minus 12 since the trade. It's almost double, <laughs> two to 1, plus the pick, plus the 5 million.
0: Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah. Talk about... You don't win. That's like uh, Rangers. That's not just killing it. You know, that's a, a nine Rangers for pick. you. <laughs> yeah, good, good on the Rangers. They're a pretty good team, though. The Rangers. When they got that, how's Lafreniere doing? Did he make? He's the got one point,
1: fourteen games. Oh, geez. shocking. I've been... shocking. One goal, overtime winner. And then you think once he got that, he was going to break out. Nope, he's just not getting it done. And they got that Capo Caco cap. Uh, he's not doing well. Of course it took
0: Pulley arvey this long to get going. Maybe Kako will be the same. Yeah. Uh,
1: no knowing, right, of course. But. Yeah. What's your number? My number is 10. And you, people are probably surprised. Anybody who follows me on Twitter, I think I had two tweets during the game and they were both berating the officials <laughs> for missed calls. And I probably were expecting my bad thing to also be berating the officials. But I saved it for my number. Ten, that's the number of penalty minutes that I banked that the refs missed on poor high-sticking calls, just high-sticking, in the game. And ten minutes that went against the Oilers and for Winnipeg. Darnell Nurse took two in a row in the first period where his stick hit a Winnipeg guy's stick and, and that stick hit the Winnipeg guy in the face. Uh, one of them was Kyle Connor. Nurse gave him a little bit of a shot, and Connor's stick came up and bopped himself on the face, and he got Nurse got two minutes for that. I mean, borderline. You might have called that for. It was just a bit of a random shot by Nurse, but it was so was hockey. I mean, hell i to play a little bit. Uh, the second one was just ridiculous. Uh, Andrew Kopp had Nurse's stick under his arm, and while they were battling, Kopp's stick came up and he whanged. Uh, I think it was Ayler's in the head with it. ref calls nurse for for high sticking and the nurse's stick is actually being held by cop below waist level it's like what are you looking at mr referee like what are you looking at so that's i mean and that one cost them the 2-1 goal and i was i was ang- angry at that point because that was like three power plays in a row for winnipeg all of them were marginal at best they scored on the third one to get back in the game that edmonton had Uh, Largely, I played him to that point. So as a fan, that was one of those kind of injustices. Anyway, then in the second period, Jujar Kara and Nugent Hopkins on the shorthanded uh, play, and Nugent makes a great pass, and Kara tries to jam it home from close range, and a jet stick comes up, hits Kara in the face, and cuts him. Automatic four-minute penalty, or it would be if both refs weren't. I didn't see anything. And then in the third period, it happened again. Adam Larson got clubbed <laughs> over the head by Tucker Pullman. Just bomb. And missed that one. Uh, anyway, finally, they got the last one. That was uh, Ehlers. He bopped a, I can't remember which order it was, on the top of the noggin with three minutes left. Really stupid very- penalty. Yeah, really stupid penalty. But maybe at that point, he's thinking, we can just chop away at any orders we want because they're not going to call anything. So at least I got that one. But that was after four missed calls amounting to five, what would have been five minor penalties, including the what would be an automatic double minor, all missed, all the same way. And at the same time, at the end of the night, the orders had more power plays than the Jets, and there were a couple chintzy ones called the other way, but uh, the high-sticking infractions were just, it was like open season out there. Nobody knew what, who's, who was holding whose stick or, you know, <laughs> And so they uh, they called too many penalties in this game. I don't think it really helped the flow of the game, but uh, oh. those kind of stood out as the more egregious of the uh, of the poor calls. So I'll go with the ten.
0: I was kind of just left numb by it all. Like you know, like it's just it's just like this is the NHL right now, so. Yeah.
1: Well, it's the first time, I think it's the first time all year, David, I've said anything really nasty about the refs. I mean, usually it kind of evens out, and it's a tough job, and they don't get them all right, and you don't expect them to get them all right. But when there's a whole string of them, and they all keep seeming to go the same way, that's when my my uh, blood gets up a little bit. So they are always pretty blue in the McCurdy living room there, in the (laughs) first period in particular.
0: Well, you've calmed down considerably because you just gave a very sober uh, recitation of their... I still their,
1: think they blew the calls, but they, you know, they kind of evened it up and orders got the win, so I'm a lot calmer than it was then.
0: Yeah, that's right. In the moment, you don't know how it's going to turn out, so it's uh, harrowing, harrowing. Um, my number is eight. Connor McDavid was in on n- made major contributions to nine grade A scoring chances this game, Bruce which is a, such a high number, but it's not unusual for Connor McDavid this year. He seems like he's always in on, you know, 6, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. Like, it's just routine for him in this. You know, I and mean, we should enjoy this, right? We should enjoy what we're seeing now with McDavid because this is a special treat for the, uh, the fans of any team to have such a player. So he had nine great-A chances this game. Eight of them came on the power play. And they they tended to come. There's some unbelievable flurries where, you know, where he he would um, was involved in. And, and uh, so so some of them came. All righty. We are back. Uh, we had a little technical difficulty there, and uh, I was just uh, going on. We we're almost at the end of the podcast. We'll just finish up quickly here, Bruce. Um we, um, I was just saying, Connor McDavid, my number was, uh, is, is, uh, nine with, uh, but, uh, one great eight scoring chance contribution for McDavid at even strength eight on the power play. And he was, he was, uh, very, very dangerous. The power play got better as the game went on, man. At the, at, at early on, it was anemic. Um, why don't we just sign off now, Bruce? And, uh, unless you have anything, any final thoughts or anything you'd like to add?
1: Oh. Well, uh, I that's nice to end properly and say goodnight to people as opposed to having Skype just drop off the face of the earth like it just did there on my screen. It just went away. So uh, indeed, we'll splice these pieces together and uh, thank people for their patience. And thank you for listening.
0: Always good to talk to you, Bruce. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.